ATL, and I'll be your host for the next hour. Each week at Mass, we say those words, I believe, but our belief has implications on the way we live our life the rest of the week. We explore those implications right here on Outside the Walls. Lately in our readings for Daily Mass, we've been hearing about God's provision. And not only the sufficiency of God's provision, but the insufficiency of ours. Uh, Today, I want to talk a little bit about this question of resources. Uh, I had the opportunity earlier this week to sit down with Marcus Grodi for his podcast, uh, Deep in Scripture. You can get to that by going over to chnetwork.org and up in the menu, click on resources and media, and then the name of the podcast, Deep in Scripture. And w- the way that it worked is we both picked the Scripture that uh, that was memorable to us and that was important to us, and neither one of us told the other which Scripture we picked. And then we had a discussion about these two Scriptures and looked at how they were interconnected. And boy, were they interconnected. Uh, he picked out, out of Matthew 6, out of the 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 gospel, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, uh, and talked about that scripture, seek first the kingdom of God, uh, and all these other things will be added to you. And I picked out of Philippians 4, my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. And so we looked at what these two scriptures had in common, and it's not what you might think. So I want to encourage you to go over and take a listen to that podcast uh, after you listen to this, but it's going to inform a little bit about what we talk about today uh, in terms of how does God provide for us and how does God use us to provide for others. Tomorrow's gospel, uh, we see Jesus tell a parable about a, a wealthy man who has an abundant harvest. And in the midst of this harvest, he looks around And he says, what am I going to do with all this? And that question is really a valid question. And and it shows some some thought as he's recognizing, wow, this was an abundant harvest. And I don't currently have the ability to take all of this in. So that's a really good realization. And then it just goes off the rails. He gets this uh, interior smug smile and he says, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to tear down my barns, which are completely sufficient for what I need. I'm going to tear down my barns, and I'm going to build larger barns. And then, from there, then I'm going going to um, not worry about anything else for the rest of my life. I have so many good things stored up for many years, says Christ, about this person. I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry and really only be concerned for myself right now and, um, and because I'm set. I don't have to worry about another harvest ever again. Uh, and Jesus has us look at this person and recognize ourselves perhaps in that, the desire to not have to trust in provision, to not have to work by the sweat of our brow, to not have to ever really have concern for whether or not we're going to have what we need. And Christ is trying to point out to us, this is not a good look on us, right? We were made uh, to be in relationship with God and trusting in him for our provision, Uh, but also we were made for each other. And so here is a person who looks only to himself and to his abundance 
and how his abundance can help him and completely misses the fact that he lives in an ecosystem with others, that he is connected to his neighbor. And so here he is. I'm, I'm not even going to be concerned about what my neighbors have. I'm going to tear down my barns and build bigger barns, and I'm going to be satisfied. Well, Jesus says to him, and he says of him, not, oh, well, you were an industrious worker. You worked really hard for that, and that's good that you can now enjoy the fruits of your labor. That's not what he says. Uh, he says, you, not you wise planner, because look at uh, the increase that you brought through your, through your use of uh, wise planning and farming. No, no, no. Instead, he says, you fool, do you not know that this night your life will be demanded of you? And the things you have prepared, to whom will they belong? So here, even as he has an increase and an abundance, and he's just planning on, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live easy for a long time. Well, God reminds us, we don't know the number of our own days. We, you know, we, we have these uh, elaborate plans for the future, and we have n- no control over the future, no idea of what the future holds for us. And so God gives us abundance very often, not for our own sake, but for the sake of the community, for the sake of those who are around us. St. John Chrysostom once said that the rich exist for the sake of the poor, and the poor exist for the salvation of the rich. In those moments where we recognize the abundance that God has given us, and instead look to see how we can be comfortable, but instead look to see who else God wants us to bless, in those moments we grow in virtue, we grow in humility, we grow in dependence upon God, and those things are the things that provide us with salvation. Dependence upon God for our holiness, understanding that we ourselves are not sufficient. We have to be connected to the source. Uh, Another scripture, Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Uh, Whoever remains in me produces much fruit. Whoever does not remain in me is cut off and thrown into the fire. The, the, The vine provides nutrients to the branches and the branches then uh, take that and produce fruit. And so for us, as we have received an increase, as we have received gifts from the Lord, we have to look at it and say, okay, what fruit is this abundance, is this life, is this resource meant to produce? And that's a question that will ultimately help us all grow in holiness. Later in the show, we're going to be talking with Ben Wilson, the director of the Summer Service Learning Program at Notre Dame Center for Social Concern. We're going to talk about this scripture we've just mentioned, also about the transfiguration coming up on Tuesday, and how Christ is revealed in God in the poor among us. Join us over on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at outside the walls. Don't go anywhere. There's much more to come right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls with TL. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, TL. And today we're sitting 
right between these two scriptures that we're focusing on today. The one from uh, tomorrow, from tomorrow, uh, the gospel, where we look at um, our responsibility to use what God has given us in terms of wealth uh, for the benefit of other, others. We see this person who who has an abundant harvest, and he looks and he says, well, uh, I'm going to keep all this for myself. And the Lord responds saying, you know, you don't know when you're going to die and who is, you've stored up all this stuff. Now who's it going to belong to? Uh, and then we're coming up uh, on Tuesday to the solemnity of the, uh, of the transfiguration where God reveals himself in glory, but only to a select few. And right in the middle of this, I read this, uh, this piece on the Church Life Journal of, over at the University of Notre Dame. You, those of you who have listened to the show for a while know that I, I frequent uh, the, the Institute for Church Life's writings. I, I love the work that they do there at, at the University of Notre Dame. Uh, and I read this piece about Jesus revealing God in hiddenness, uh, written by Ben Wilson, who's the director of the Summer Service Learning Program at Notre Dame's Center for Social Concern. Uh, and Ben joins us today. Ben, thanks for being on the show. Yeah, thanks for the opportunity, uh, T.L. Great to, great to be with you. Thanks for contacting me. So uh, I'm, I'm fascinated by this, uh, this idea, and I want to highlight it against um, the, the transfiguration. And you did this a little bit in your piece, talking about uh, Jesus reveals God to us, but he does so in hiddenness, not only in a hidden way, but he shows us where God is in hiddenness as well. Uh, and in the midst of this, you bring out the idea of uh, the the anomaly, as it were, to that that um, idea being the the announcement to the shepherds, where the angels break in uh, to our reality with all the fanfare you could imagine. But they do it to the most, uh, the, the group of, of the most unbelievable witnesses. So, you know, it's like sitting at the, the um, convenience store at the corner and somebody coming up to you uh, in maybe the lower socioeconomic class than you are and telling you this fantastical story. Yeah, they saw it and it was revealed to them, but are you going to believe them? And that's kind of the same picture we have with the shepherds. Well, here you have the same thing with the transfiguration where Jesus reveals the fullness of the glory of God, but only to those three who are closest to him. So what does this tell us about how how we're to understand who God is, uh, that when God reveals his glory, he generally does it in a very small way? Right. Yeah, this is an idea that just um, I, I find really captivating and compelling about God's own humility. Um, and I, I think there's, uh, you know, I mean, it, it's hard to ever get, get inside of, you know, God's own head, you know, how, how you would do it. Um, but, but to imagine God having such uh, an overabundance of love to enter into the world, you know, there's kind of this extraordinary unboundedness to it, but also at the same time, this, this like, cultivated, disciplined, like restraint, and then kind of things in balance. Um, I think the other two things that, that are really balanced in the way God, you know, God comes and reveals himself is um, the sense of like, it's not just for the, this elite, you know, the select few, it's like the, it's the shepherds, as you mentioned, it's these, these three, you know, former fishermen, 
um, you know, it's, it's Mary Magdalene at the tomb, um, you know, so it's not from the, the ruling classes. Uh, so there's kind of this, this availability, this universality to it, but then there's also this like really selective chosenness, you know, these three friends that, that he chooses to, that Jesus chooses to share himself with here in the transfiguration in a special way. Well, you know, as you're talking about uh, revealing himself, not to the ruling classes, uh, it brings to mind the Magnificat, where he reveals himself in a very particular way to Mary, uh, the mother of Jesus, uh, in the Annunciation. And immediately following that, we get this, this canticle to the fact that God loves to reveal himself to the, the fringes, and, and that he... You know, he lifts up the lowly and casts down the mighty from their thrones. That this is the uh, the kind of thing that uh, we we don't you know we don't really pay attention to. We we may say it often or we may hear it in mass, but these are radical claims mm-hmm. about what God intends to do through the incarnation. Right. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. There's there's something really um, maybe a bit destabilizing about it. Uh, and that maybe, you know, we likely each of us have our own, have our own thrones. I think there's, there's a way to, to immunitize that as well. It's not just those people on their thrones and then these other people, you know, who are not, I think there, there is that dimension to it. Um, certainly we see in the gospels, but I think we would, um, we would rob the gospel of some of its punch if we didn't kind of consider the thrones that we maybe sit on ourselves that, that, uh, protect us a bit from, from the thrust of the gospel. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about one throne that we all typically uh, like to sit on, and that's the throne of our own uh, comfort and our own, maybe or, uh, the our social orientation. Um, mm-hmm. I, I like to sit on the throne of the conversations with people that I know or that I'm comfortable with and familiar with. Uh, mm-hmm. in, in your piece, you bring up Dorothy Day, and also you hint at uh, and mention St. Teresa of Calcutta. Uh, And you talk about this this lovely phrase she had that here, as she's serving the poorest of the poor, she talks about, oh, here comes Christ in his most distressing disguise. Mm -hmm. Uh, And in this quote from from Dorothy Day, you say, if we hadn't got Christ's own words for it, it would seem raving lunacy to believe that I offer a bed and food and hospitality to some man or woman or child, and I'm replaying the part of Lazarus or Martha or Mary, and that my guest is Christ. So here, I want to maybe explore a little bit this idea of Matthew 25, of what Dorothy Day talked about with Catholic Worker, and how in that moment we can experience a transfiguration moment where Peter in that moment where Christ is glorified before him, says, Lord, it's good that we are here. So let's talk about encountering Christ in that hiddenness, uh, and maybe one of your own experience or an experience from your student, where in that moment of of serving and hospitality, you had a, a Peter moment. Lord, it's good that we are here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, we just talked about kind of not... Uh, shielding ourselves from the from the the kind of the the edge of the gospel, and I, I, that's something that I find so beautiful, but also so um, kind of discomforting about both Mother Teresa and, and Dorothy Day, is they just have this really unflinching literalism about Matthew twenty five, 
I think we live in an era in which, you know, it's very easy to like allegorize and metaphoricalize and, you know, um, especially, yeah, uh, to, to take the, the gospels, everything kind of has like this, this way of interpreting it, but just like, this is literally the case. And they're, they're both just so committed to that. Um, yeah. So for me, um, <clears throat> probably the, the group that I'm, I'm closest with uh, here that experiences, you know, the different categories alluded to in Matthew 25 or not alluded to, but mentioned would be people who are experiencing homelessness. Um, <clears throat> my wife and I are um, friends of the Catholic worker community here in South Bend. And so we live on a street where um, a couple of houses down from the men's house and the women's house of hospitality. Um, they're, just, they're dear friends and we're, um, we feel really fortunate to be able to um, witness the, the amazing work that they do in, day in and day out on a, on a daily basis. Um, and then the way our house is situated in this neighborhood, people will, will come by our house as well, you know, asking for, for food or um, you know, help or you know, want to do a small job for a few dollars, that sort of thing. Um, and yeah, and I'll, I'll be honest that there, there are days that, you know, we've gotten the, have four young kids, we get the kids all down and it's kind of the first quiet moment of the day, or maybe the, I'm just getting home from work and, you know, someone will come by and knock on the door and we'll, we'll need something. Um, and, uh, you know, my, my own instinct sometimes is like, I just want, I just kind of want to close the door. I just kind of want to just be home. Um, but I, it's, it's just, it's frequently Matthew 25 and it's frequently these witnesses that just like call me out of myself. And it's, it's not, it's not my own virtue. Um, my, my own instinct would sometimes be to, to, to close in. Um, but I, it's, I find it so helpful to have this reminder of like, this, this is, this is Christ appearing before me. Um, and this is, this is requisite for what it means to be a Christian is to, to greet this person, to offer them what, what I can, um, and, uh, to be evangelized by that person. And it, again, it's, it's not about uh, my own goodness. It's about, it's about the, the privilege of, of being able to serve Christ here in this moment. And not only that, um, but you know, Christ beckons us to places that are away from everyone else. He beckons us to, to uncomfortable places for the purpose of revealing his glory, right? Uh, with Peter, James, and John, they're, they're along with all the other apostles and all the other uh, d- disciples who are kind of in the ecosystem of following Christ, and he calls them away, and he calls them to the side, and he calls them to a very specific and particular place alone with him, and it's in that place that he reveals himself. You know, uh, my... my Ten-year-old uh, daughter, she often says, "You know, I just I want to hear the voice of God like with my own ears," mm-hmm. and and the way that we do that is not the way that we expect. Uh, it's not in necessarily in this moment of um, deep spirituality. It's in this moment where spirituality becomes incarnate, where we mm-hmm. allow our spirituality to take on the flesh of the person in front of us. Mm-hmm. And encounter Christ in that place, and in that moment, yes, we God has revealed to us uh, because this is Christ standing before us. Right, right, right. So, and there's, go ahead. Oh, and there's there's such an I guess back to kind of what I had said at the the beginning. There's there's such a, a balance and a complementarity of both this call out to this this special place, you know, of, of the mountain of this particular encounter. You know, g- you know, go, going out. There's this. I think there's this kind of the, that's the perennial sort of like trajectory of the gospel calling us out. Um, and then there's also this like very much embedded in one's daily experience in these ordinary places that we might too easily overlook. Mm-hmm. Uh, how those, the way those two things fit together is, is for me really um, 
you're covered. We're, we're, we're swimming in God. Yeah. Well, and we don't often have the eyes to see it. You know, right. I think of those people who were in Bethlehem, who were in proximity and, and line of sight to where the shepherds were and missed the angels. Right. And we have that, that risk uh, ourselves. If People are coming up to us all the time. Christ is, is disguising himself all the time and putting himself in our path. And oftentimes we are so caught up in our, uh, and our path and the plans that we have and the smartphone that's in front of us and the infinite scroll of social media that we miss the Christ at our door. Right. Absolutely. So I, I think, I think there is an inherent hiddenness about the way that God chose to reveal himself in, in Jesus. And there's also blindness on our part or, uh, and the lack of a discipline or a refusal or an inability to see so that it's not just that God wants to be, um, you know, it's not God, God's not playing tricks, wanting to avoid our, our, our finding him. It's that um, I think he wants us to, he calls us out to disappoint him really as well. We're talking today with Ben Wilson, who's the director of the Summer Service Learning Program at Notre Dame's Center for Social Concern, talking about finding God in hiddenness as revealed through Jesus Christ. Join the ongoing conversation over on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls on Twitter. The handle's at Outside the Walls. Come and join that conversation telling us where you've encountered Christ through the corporal works of mercy. There's much more to come right after this. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Outside the Walls with TL. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, TL. There's this phrase that St. Benedict used, lex orandi, lex credendi, lex vivendi. The law of prayer, the way that we pray, our spirituality, is the law of belief, is the law of life. The things that we pray for, the things that we focus on in our spirituality are the things that are going to anchor us and be the center of our belief and our understanding and and our view of the world. And that in turn is going to impact the way that we live it out. And we're talking today about finding Christ and, and not only finding Christ in hiddenness, but seeing that Christ revealed God in hiddenness. Not only did he reveal in hiddenness the ways that God was, but he revealed that God is in hiddenness. Uh, there's this... Um, this verse in Psalm 18 that says, uh, it's, it's recounting the glories of God. It says, he wraps himself in darkness or he wears darkness like a cloak. And, and so we even see in the Old Testament this idea that while God is intimately involved with our lives, he's wrapped up in mystery, right? He is hidden in, in a very real and substantial way. Uh, and we see this even in the Eucharist as the, the God of the universe has hidden himself in the elements of bread and wine and this host in this consecrated chalice. And so we're talking today about what that looks like. How do we find a, a God in this hidden place? We're talking with Ben Wilson, who's the director of the Summer Service Learning Program at Notre Dame Center for Social Concerns. He recently wrote a piece. I encourage you to go read it over on uh, the Institute for Church Life's journal. You can get to that by going to churchlifejournal.nd.edu. 
Ben, thanks again for joining us today. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, TL. So I want to talk a little bit about the work that you do there at uh, the Center for Social Concerns, socialconcerns.nd.edu, because you'll have really difficult to remember <laughs> URLs. <laughs> uh, it's it's beautiful. You, it's, it, it is what it says it is. Um, I want to talk a little bit about, uh, because here you're in this higher, uh, higher education uh, kind of platform, and a lot of times we think of that purely as academics. We're going to feed the mind. We're going to make sure that people, when they come out, they can say the right things and they can figure the right things. Uh, And here you're in a very real way concerned, not just with education, but with formation uh, and and forming really uh, strong Christians to be able to view and see the world through the lens of Christianity and to recognize God on the fringes. Mm -hmm. So, Let's examine a little bit how that's done in a higher education capacity, and then we can apply that to our own lives. Great. Yeah, thanks, T.L. Right. So University of Notre Dame uh, was founded by the Congregation Holy Cross, uh, which was in turn founded by Blessed Basil Moreau. Uh, And he wrote um, extensively um, around the period of the French Revolution um, about kind of his own education of philosophy. And so he talked about uh, we must not educate the mind at the expense of the heart. And so... Out of that, um, Holy Cross has developed this, this mindset of, of uh, aiming for a holistic education. We want to educate um, people's minds, their hearts, and their, and their, their souls, their spirits. Um, so I think a program like the, like the summer service learning program that I am privileged to be part of uh, is, is one way of getting to live that out. And that, that really energizes me is that we want uh, not just to impart information into our students, but we want to help cultivate formation uh, for them. So... Um, interestingly enough, the, the program that I work with uh, is a three-credit theology course. And I, I think that's a really profound statement on the university's part to say, hey, this work of um, getting off campus, uh, going out and doing a two-month um, immersion uh, service experience anywhere across the, the, the country, and there's a similar program that, that's international across the globe, um, the sort of work of being embedded in these communities for two months uh, and engaging a set of readings and doing, uh, you know, written reflections, you know, we're doing integration of, of the, your experience, this, of this academic work, that is, um, that is intellectual um, and, and human formation. So uh, the university assigns academic credit to that. Um, but it, it can be so powerful because uh, students are not just taking their classroom learning and applying it to the world. It's not just that they have this, you know, knowledge that they go get to live out, you know, out in the quote unquote real world. There's certainly a dimension of that. Um, but we're actually telling them, hey, um, you have a certain number of instructors and professors here on campus, but there are also some really important lessons to be learned from people on the margins and people in communities who, you know, may not have a, you know, a, a, a certain degree or wear the regalia, um, but they, the spot in society that they occupy, they have something really powerful to teach you. And so we want to equip you um, with an eyes and the ears and the hearts to, to listen to those lessons. That's, that's really challenging. Let's talk a little bit about this about this idea of service because so often we think of service in terms of I'm going to go over there and I'm going to do this thing and they're going to be better for it, right? right. Uh, so um, I'm going to go once a month to the soup kitchen. This is laudable work, right? There's something that you mentioned here that that I think is really essential to our experience of service, and that's the idea of immersion. And I'm going to change that just a little bit and say this is the idea 
of incarnation, right? Mm-hmm. That that we are making Christ's body visible and active in these communities, but we're doing so in a way where we are not just going in and, and making a, a difference, but going in and being, right? We're The idea that God comes close and is with us, God as Emmanuel, and we're tasked with that as his body today is to go in and, and to be and to be in the midst of and to bring Christ in where he comes in and doesn't then just immediately leave. He comes in and he stays. And even as we are bringing Christ to them, as this whole piece is talking about, we are also encountering Christ in that Matthew 25 way in those who are in front of us. So there is this this beautiful uh, connection between us bringing Christ to them and us encountering Christ in them at the same time. Exactly. Yeah. One, one student from a few years ago has this beautiful story. So he was serving um, at a, a Holy Cross parish uh, up in the Northwest in, in Portland. Um, and their ministry is they're located in downtown um, and they're uh, yeah, their, their service is among the, the homeless and the people living on, on the streets there in Portland, of which there's a, a large community. And so this, this student uh, one day um, had to sign up to be part of the, the foot washings uh, service and, and, and service not in a liturgical context here in this particular um, instance, but they, they, you know, the, the people there at the, at the um, parish noticed, you know, if, if you're living on the streets, you're on your feet an awful lot and the, the wear and tear just on your literal feet is just immense. He said, you know, one of the best things we can you know, probably do here um, physically as well as emotionally is tend to, to these men and women's feet. And so my, my student a few years ago heard about that. And he's like, you know, under the best of circumstances, I'm not super interested in washing somebody else's feet <laughs> circumstances. And so as soon as he found out that that was an expectation of him for the summer, he said, um, I, I'm going to sign up as soon as I possibly can to get it to knock it out of the way. So I don't have to dread it any longer. So signed up. Uh, he goes and uh, he realizes the very first person he's assigned to, you know, the first person in line is, is a man by the name of Willie. Uh, and he just kind of takes a glance down at Willie's hands and he just sees these calluses, you know, all over his hand. You know, he's the man who's been out in the sun, out in the elements, you know, sleeping outside. And and, uh, and my students are bright enough got it to realize, like, you know, the hands probably are a reflection of the feet, you know? <laughs> it's just like, I can only imagine what's going to happen when I, you know, un- unlace those shoes and and he looks up at Willie's face and you can tell that Willie's kind of, you know, he's settling back in his chair. And um, so my student, you know, slowly, you know, takes his shoes off, his socks off and, and starts to, to pour water. And he, you know, he's kind of you know, reluctant about it. And Willie's settling more and more in. Um, and then Willie looks down and says, you know, you must, down there washing my feet, you must feel like Jesus himself. And my student just paused for a moment. And he said, you know, I actually kind of feel like Mary Magdalene or, you know, depending on how, how you interpret the, the woman in, in Luke 7. Actually, like the woman who who was wa- you know who was washing Jesus's feet, and I and I just love that exchange because it, it it so beautifully captures just what you were you were describing, TL, about um, how service can be an imitation of Jesus. That's that's what Willie was alluding to, like, hey, Josh, you're doing this beautiful thing, you know, the Last Supper, you know, Jesus washes his disciples' feet, go and he says, go and do the same. Um, so you know, j- my student was definitely you know incarnating Jesus there for Willie, but at the same time that the student pointed out what I'm, what I'm doing here is an encounter, uh, with, with Jesus in, in the poor. And I, I just think both of those are so, so abundantly true. Um, there's not a, there's not a comp- competitive, uh, dimension between those two, but I think it's both, it's important to hold both um, together that we don't, while, it's, while we are called to imitate Christ as his disciples, 
um, we are not uh, we're, we're not the Messiah ourselves. Um, that that we are ultimately participating in Christ's own salvific work. You know, you, you mentioned something early on as you talked about these people who come to your door because of the neighborhood that you live in. And you're a parent, and you have these concerns as a parent, and you want to make sure that your family is safe. Um, and and that's a struggle that I, I know a lot of people deal with. It's one that I've I've had come across my mind. Who do we invite over? How do we take care of uh, of the people on the fringes in in our context? How do I put myself in a place where I can have that encounter, and yet do that parental thing? Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely no, no expert at this for anyone else. And I'm, I'm still very much um, on the, on the journey, my own self. Um, one thing I can say, you know, from my own personal journey is, um, yeah, as a single person, and when, when my wife and I were first married, this, this sense of call to be among those on the margins and serve, especially those, those experiencing homelessness, that was very strong for us. And so we were uh, you know, very connected with the Catholic worker at that time. And we would go, you know, on a pretty frequent basis. And we felt really tangibly connected to this community. Um, and as we've had you know, children, you know, when our, when our oldest was, when we had just one, and he was very little, you know, we'd just throw him in the, the carrier and we'd just, you know, bring him with us. And we'd do all the same things we had done before. And, um, uh, you know, it just seemed like there, he was this little like peace beacon, you know, that sometimes there'd be like fights would break out or, that people just, it was like this calming presence of like, oh, there's this, there's this infant here. Like we need to, we need to be peaceful. Um, but then as we, we now have four kids, uh, it's just gotten more difficult. And I, and I feel this, I feel this lack of like not being able to, and um, the times when we do go, I, I can feel like oh, I'm not, I'm not able to do very much. And, and in a real sense that that is true. Like I can't, I can't serve in the way I, I used to. Um, but I, I've noticed now that, uh, that instead of us like going out and seeking out those opportunities at the at the shelter at the drop-in center, um, that that people will come to to our door, and that that can inconvenience me in a, in helpful ways that can like wake wake me up. Um, so for me, it, it's been it's been humbling. Um, uh, it's been humbling to to not be able to feel like I can I can do all that I used to, um, but to know that that I think this this is also kind of the the ministry I've been called to. There's a great book by, I think it's uh, Carrie Weber, I think, called Mercy in the City. Um, she's an editor, I believe, for America Magazine. And so I, I think the tagline for her book is something like how to how to practice the corporal works of mercy and not quit your day job. Hmm. Uh, so this way of, uh, yeah, living out the corporal and spiritual works of mercy in a very daily sense, um, which, I, again, I feel like everything I've said is like there's always this balance, which I, I do believe in. Um, how, how to see that like, there, there are constant opportunities to live mercy in our daily lives. Um, so to not overlook those, but at the same point, if we're only serving those like in our immediate sphere, I think we're, we're losing opportunities to go outside of ourselves. We've been talking today with Ben Wilson, the director of the Summer Service Learning Program at Notre Dame's Center for Social Concerns. Find out more information about the work they do at socialconcerns.nd.edu. And join us over on social media for a continuing conversation about how we encounter Christ in the poor. How do you live out the corporal works of mercy where you are? There's much more to come right after this. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Outside the Walls with TL.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, T.L., and today we have been talking about the corporal acts of mercy. We've been talking with Ben Wilson, the director of the Summer Service Learning Program at Notre Dame Center for Social Concerns, and we talked about how God reveals himself to us, how, how Jesus reveals God to us in hiddenness, and how we encounter Jesus as we encounter those who are on the peripheries. If you missed any part of that conversation, you want to listen to it again or share it with your friends on social media, which I highly encourage, uh, you can find it over at OutsideTheWalls.com, where we have all of our archives, including this one, which will be right up at the top as soon as we finish the broadcast here today. And as always, there's more to my conversation with Ben Wilson than we have the time to air here. And I give those extra segments to all of those who support the show through Patreon. Our Patreon supporters help keep us on the air and have just a fantastic community where they get, uh, for as little as $5 a month, extra segments each and every week, as well as some other nifty things here and there. Uh, while you're over there at OutsideTheWalls.com, if you want to learn more about it and see about these uh, extra goodies that are out there, uh, up in the top right-hand corner of the website, you'll find a link that says support the show hyphen Patreon. Click that link. It'll take you right to it. And there are some posts that are there that are free that you can take a look at without becoming a patron and then explore all the various ways that you can support the show and get goodies to boot. Well, now let's turn our attention to our reading from scripture and from church history. Our scripture today comes from the Gospel of Luke. It comes from this next Tuesday, which is the, the Feast of the Transfiguration. Jesus took Peter, John, and James and went up a mountain to pray. While he was praying, his face changed in appearance, and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were conversing with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his exodus, that he was going to accomplish in Jerusalem. Peter and his companions had been overcome by sleep, but becoming fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As they were about to part from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. But he did not know what he was saying. While he was still speaking, a cloud came and cast a shadow over them. And they became frightened when they entered the cloud. Then from the cloud came a voice that said to him, This is my chosen son. Listen to him. After the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. They fell silent and did not at that time tell anyone what they had seen. That reading comes from the Gospel of Luke, and there are a couple of themes here. One that just always strikes me, and I uh, just it makes me chuckle. And this is uh, Peter and his companions had been overcome by sleep. Apparently, this is a common theme that Jesus prays so long that the disciples fall asleep. It happens again in the Garden of Gethsemane right before Jesus is arrested as he is experiencing his passion in the garden. And, and at that time, he says, Peter, could you not wait with me for one hour? I find this interesting because the last, Peter should have remembered this moment when Christ was revealed in glory, and he should have said, oh, Jesus is praying. I'm not falling asleep this time, but no, no. Sleep is a powerful thing. And so he wakes up, and he's not quite got his wits about him, and he says, it's good that we're here, and I love the line, 
uh, that Luke adds in, he didn't really know what he was saying. <laughs> but then we see that a cloud came and cast a shadow over them. And, and going back to what we talked about with Ben earlier, that God clothes himself, as Psalm 18 says, uh, he clothes himself in a cloud. He clothes himself in darkness. And so here this moment, there's a reason that they get frightened. Here this cloud comes uh, quickly upon them, and the voice of comes out of this cloud, and this is not what you expect a cloud to do. And it makes uh, perfect sense that they're like, uh, you know, we did just wake up. Maybe we won't tell anyone about this just, <laughs> just yet. They fell silent and did not at that time tell anyone what they had seen. So that reading comes from the Transfiguration. We talked a little bit about how God reveals himself to those who were closest to him, who followed him up to the mountain to pray. And so that brings to us the question, how are you and I in our relationship with Christ? Are we intimate in the way that we're the ones that he's calling up to the mountain? Has he called us into, and of course the answer is he has called. So have we listened to that call of God to follow him into solitary places? Because in those places, in that hiddenness, that's where he's most fully revealed to us. Our reading from church history today comes from a sermon on the Transfiguration uh, by Anastasius of Sinai. Upon Mount Tabor, Jesus revealed to his disciples a heavenly mystery. While living among them, he had spoken of the kingdom and of his second coming in glory. But to banish from their hearts any possible doubt concerning the kingdom, and to confirm their faith in what lay in the future by its prefiguration in the present, he gave them on Mount Tabor a wonderful vision of his glory, a foreshadowing of the kingdom of heaven. It was as if he said to them, As time goes by, you may be in danger of losing your faith. To save you from this, I tell you now that some standing here listening to me will not taste death until they have seen the Son of Man coming in the glory of his Father. Moreover, in order to assure us that Christ could command such power when he wished, the evangelist continues, Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John and led them up a high mountain where they were alone. There, before their eyes, he was transfigured. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as light. Then the disciples saw Moses and Elijah appear, and they were talking to Jesus. These are the divine wonders we celebrate today. This is the saving revelation given us upon the mountain. This is the festival of Christ that has drawn us here. Let us listen, then, to the sacred voice of God so compellingly calling us from on high, from the summit of the mountain, so that with the Lord's chosen disciples we may penetrate the deep meaning of these holy mysteries so far beyond our capacity to express. Jesus goes before us to show us the way, both up the mountain and into heaven. And, I speak boldly, it is for us now to follow him with all speed, yearning for the heavenly vision that will give us a share in his radiance, renew our spiritual nature, and transform us into his own likeness, making us forever sharers in his Godhead and raising us to heights as yet undreamed of. 
Let us run with confidence and joy to enter into the cloud like Moses and Elijah, or like James and John. Let us be caught up like Peter to behold the divine vision and to be transfigured by that glorious transfiguration. Let us retire from the world, stand aloof from the earth, rise above the body, detach ourselves from creatures, and turn to the Creator, to whom Peter in ecstasy exclaimed, Lord, it is good for us to be here. It is indeed good to be here, as you have said, Peter. It is good to be with Jesus and to remain here forever. What greater happiness or higher honor could we have than to be with God, to be made like Him and to live in His light? Therefore, since each of us possesses God in his heart and is being transformed into his divine image, we also should cry out with joy, It is good for us to be here. Here where all things shine with divine radiance, where there is joy and gladness and exaltation, where there is nothing in our hearts but peace, serenity, and stillness, where God is seen. For here in our hearts, Christ takes up his abode together with the Father, saying as he enters, Today salvation has come to this house. With Christ, our hearts receive all the wealth of his eternal blessings, and there, where they are stored up for us in him, we see reflected as in a mirror both the first fruits and the whole of the world to come. That reading comes from a sermon on the transfiguration of the Lord by Anastasius of Sinai. I think of the disciples that morning as Jesus called them to go up the mountain with him to pray. He's calling them somewhere that's going to take effort and exertion. So much effort and exertion that when they got to the top, eventually they fell asleep while Jesus was still praying. And Jesus is calling you and I to meet him in a place that's going to require effort and exertion. It's going to require us to see him hidden, wrapped up in a cloak, uh, hiding in the poor, hiding in the people on the peripheries and in the margins. I encourage you this week to give a call to your local Catholic charities. Give a call to your parish and say, what ways can I serve those who are on the margins? How can I volunteer in a capacity that will put me in contact with people who need to receive the mercy of God in a very tangible, physical way, the corporal acts of mercy. And as you go, I believe that you will have that experience, that experience of the transfiguration where you say, Lord, it is good that we are here. As you see the face of Christ in the face of those on the margins. Today's show is brought to you by Drs. Michael and Julie Highlands and all those who support the show through Patreon. Go over to OutsideTheWalls.com, click that Patreon link, and join their numbers. Join us over on social media, Facebook.com slash StepOutsideTheWalls. On Twitter, the handle's at OutsideTheWalls. And be a part of our ongoing conversation. Until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.